Welcome to Business Matters with host Rob Capello, a podcast where we open the conversation on what matters for business. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First Credit Union, a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. We have a lot of attendees. It's probably our most attended live seminar so far. So we're, I, I expect lots of questions. So um, we are live streaming on Facebook and through Zoom. And um, uh, please do submit your questions. The point of this today is get as many questions answered as that we can from you guys. I know we only have about 55 minutes, but we'll try to do our best to answer as many questions. Um, for those that don't know, I was doing a little bit of research yesterday, and I, everyone on the panel can speak a little bit better to this than I can, but tourism is, tourism is a $20 billion industry in BC. It employs over 160,000 people and almost 20,000 businesses. So obviously, very important to our community and many communities in BC as well. So, But at the same time, we're just talking before we hopped on the call, so much uncertainty right now when it comes to tourism. Um, but we know there's a vital part of our industry. So we're so fortunate to have uh, an amazing panel today. So I appreciate everyone taking the hour. I know everyone's busy. And so I, I, appreciate, I know everyone's hopping on Zoom calls on and off all day. So really appreciate you guys taking the time to spend the next 55 minutes with us so no one's here to hear me talk so let's just get started and again please send in your questions as, uh, as much as possible so I'll uh, I'll start asking some questions but I want the audience to really participate in this as much as possible so um, Michael is here he's just we got the beautiful big white background that he's, he's sharing with us so um, Michael one thing I want to chat about real quickly as we get started is that obviously it must be a difficult time for yourself and the team at big white but bring us back to when you had to make that announcement that you had to close like what was going through your guys's mind and what's the state of mind now with with so much uncertainty going on and what the season might look like for summer or winter for you guys yeah and good morning everyone you know the 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 biggest shock to us was when you have an icon like whistler all of a sudden announce that they're closing and and you were we were watching very very closely what the colorado resorts were doing and and it was really the governor of Colorado that was calling the shots. And, and with Whistler being owned by an American company, with Silver Star being owned by an American company, when, when you st started to see the resorts closing, you know, you, the, the first thing that goes through your mind is why is this happening and why is it happening so quickly? What do they know that we don't know? And COVID-19, as much as we were following it, um, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a program and a problem that was happening over uh, whether it be in Italy or whether it be in China at the time. But uh, it, it was a frightening squeeze box that was getting closer and closer to us. And of course, being a Canadian-owned family operation, um, we, we, we have probably always um, made our decisions on, on the safety of, of the entire, not only visiting public, but we have 1,100 staff members up there that we were obviously worried about that live in close, you know, closed, confined quarters, and uh, and it came it came down to what is the right thing to do, and it, it's really very easy. The CEO and president is not is the owner of the company and the head of the family that made the decision, and and we simply um, when the decision was made, it was our job to get people off the mountain as safely as possible. We we literally made the announcement at 3.30, closed the lifts at four o'clock. And, and there was reasons that we did all that because 
You know, we, we, uh, we wanted to make sure that there was no panicking. And, uh, and then once people got back to their rooms, um, it, 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 was, it was a week of working with airlines and like literally you have 600 staff lived in foreign countries and we, we had to get them home. So it was an interesting uh, two weeks for sure. So are you guys, is there, is there plans? I know it's hard. We don't have the crystal ball, but is there plans to have summer operations? Like, are you able to have mountain biking, hiking? Is there any of that slated to open right now? Well, I think both Miles and Ingrid would agree with me that what the premier announced yesterday and the, and the fallout that's coming from that is tourism probably took the hardest hit because they're, they're talking about don't move, you know, don't go outside your comfort zone. Don't, don't go to the next suburb. I even heard him say, um, you know, go to parks only for days right now. And, and th this is really confusing to the, to the ski industry or sorry, to the, to the tourism industry um, because if, if, if you look at where we are in the central Okanagan, I think we're all very confident that I can, I can go for a bike ride. I can, I can go walk in a vineyard. I can go for a hike. I can go for a mountain bike in my local community, whether it, it, it's up in the local mountains. Come Jan or the, June the 23rd, when we're scheduled to open, this whole thing is going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. If there's anything we've realized, Every 24 hours, something new is happening mm -hmm. when it comes to COVID-19. The biggest problem we have right now is not getting the, the resort ready for physical separation or how do I serve you a hamburger, is the snow melt. We, mm -hmm. With a good grooming machine, we could open that mountain today and we could all have top to bottom runs. There's a <laughs> lot of snow in the mountain still. Mm -hmm. And it, it's all we know where it's all going. And, uh, and we're, just, we're just waiting for the snow melt. But yes, we will be open for summer operations. It'll look different. Um, it'll be different. But, um, you know, chairlift assisted downhill mountain biking, gravity fed mountain biking is going to be a lot of fun this summer. People are going to want to get out of their neighborhood and get up into the mountains. And we think that we're going to be one of the resorts that are going to be able to do that for them. Yeah, and I think that's what everyone, when we ask people sort of, you know, what they're missing the most, a lot of people say going out to restaurants, having dinner, and then getting out and having activities slash events like that. Those are two always, obviously, as you're cooped up at home as much as possible, you want to, you want to get out. And um, so thank you, Michael. I just want to hop over to Ingrid for a little bit is Ingrid, I think you're, you're, you're in your new role uh, for about four months now, I believe. Um, uh, so you're right into the fire, but you bring a lot of experience. So for those who don't know, Ingrid is the president and CEO of British Columbia Hotel Association. Um, obviously, some are saying travel industry might not look the same until 2023, 2020. We don't know. We don't really know. But so how how are hotels adjusting to this stark reality now? Like, how, what are you? What are your members doing, and what are you doing to, as a hotel association? So, Rob, um, first of all, uh, advocating federally, working really closely with Hotel Association of Canada and TIAC, our Tourism Industry Association of Canada, uh, working with the other provinces, and then working with my counterparts at TIA BC, ABLE, Restaurants Canada, BCRFA. You know, the, the industry in British Columbia, there's 36 different associations that are uh, intimately connected in the network or the ecosystem of tourism. Uh, hospitality uh, and accommodators are part of that. So uh, to Michael's point, every day is a new day and you never know what it's going to look like. And believe me, that is the reality that we're in right now. Um, 
you know, very mixed messaging uh, coming from Premier Horgan's uh, announcement yesterday and then the actual plan that was then circulated to support it. I'm encouraged that we're looking at a beginning of a June date to reopen, but the reality is 40% of hotels in the province are currently closed. Uh, we have 64,728 employees that are currently laid off in our sector alone. Uh, the hotels that are looking to reopen, um, you know, we as a, as a sector uh, nationally and provincially have been completely left out of the relief measures. There is one measure that is starting to happen and that is the $40,000 uh, loan. Um, but what that is, it's is actually assuming more debt on an already really desperate and um, from a liquidity perspective, you know, there, there is a very dire circumstance out there. And, you know, I am little miss positive and I've been known for that all my life. I always can come up with an idea of how to, how to fix something. This circumstance is, I cannot say how serious it is. Uh, we are firmly advocating with our tourism partners to ensure that businesses are provided relief. If you can consider a business that has been closed to be reopened, there is an opening cost for that. You know, there's inventory, there's training, there's hiring, there's cleaning, there's so much that is a hard cost when there is zero revenue. Mm -hmm. These businesses already are in a situation where they literally, many of them will not survive. So our job right now is working with government, WorkSafe BC, GoToHR, developing best practices and protocols. It's, an, it's a huge amount of work. We've done a lot of work uh, on it, and um, I'm encouraged that we will be able to send some of that information out and people can start training and realizing what that looks like. Um, the other part of it is consumer confidence. Our traveler within British Columbia and within Canada needs to understand that our industry is ready, that we have their safety and health and wellness, at, you know, at first and foremost uh, ahead and that our employees also feel safe to come back to work. So this is a whole new reality, but, and, and those, are, those are big jobs. That doesn't come easily. You know, we're all a little bit afraid. I've been working out of my home office. I only, I only went to work at my new job for two weeks and then I had to close the office. Uh, so, and I do love from working, working from home, I have to say. Um, but this, how we all work together, you know, Michael, Miles, myself, I've been supporting Miles because I seem to be drinking more wine than I would be if <laughs> doing something else other than being at home every day. But, um, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And right now we have to recover. We have to save our summer. We have to shop locally. You know, we have to support all of these business people that are completely invested in their communities. Our challenge is people think the hotel industry is big business. And in British Columbia, 82% of hotels are independently owned and operated. The average size of hotel in the province is 80 rooms. That is a small hotel in comparison. And if you don't have those kind of numbers, you are working with very, very thin margins. So, you know, I have a big job and my job is to, you know, try to support the industry so that it can actually survive. So it's interesting, um, uh, just before we leave this point, is that some of the stats we, I saw this morning is that, you know, obviously in Kelowna is, you know, 10% and some are even under 5%. So you mentioned there's a lot of independently owned 
um, accommodations. Are we going to see a change in the structure? Are we going to see more acquisitions? Are we going to see larger chains? Are, are, yeah. like, well, again, you don't have a crystal ball, but is that something that you're, you're, we're going to be seeing in this sector? Yeah, let me, let me just clarify something because you said, will we see more chains? So the brand on a hotel, you can have an independent owned and operated property. Okay. And they make a choice. Am I, uh, do I have my own brand that I'm going to be developing? Or do I want to pay for a brand? Okay. If you have a Coaster, Marriott, or Delta, or Ramada, or whatever, that doesn't mean that is a big company. Okay. It's the ownership of the physical plant and the operation is by an independent small business. So this is where I think sometimes uh, we, when we're misunderstood in that, in that way, we think, oh, you know, the big brands can survive no matter what. But in actual fact, that independent business operator can't. Will there be changes, sales, acquisitions? Will uh, businesses go bankrupt? Absolutely. Yeah. There is no question in my mind. Yeah, we're seeing large, I think Neiman Marcus today filed bankruptcy in the U.S. Like we're seeing big, big yep. companies. Yeah, not doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you. We'll, we'll circle back to you. Uh, Miles, welcome. Thank you. I know you've been waiting patiently um, there. Um, so for those who don't know, Miles, the president CEO at the BC Wine Institute. Um, there's a big push right now with sort of your backyard vacationing. So I see a lot of the, you know, you know, kind of staycation, stay at home, travel, because we really don't know if we can even leave where, where we're at. So we all know we, it's hard to replace those tourist dollars because you're not spending money in hotels, you're not spending money in restaurants and so forth. But the reality is if there's more of the staycation or more travel, more people staying locally, what are wineries doing to accommodate more of the local business now or can they? Are, are you seeing a shift on how they're doing business to accommodate some more of the, the, the local market? Well, I think, I think the operative word there, Rob, is staycation. I mean, we've used that uh, maybe somewhat uh, in a mm -hmm. trite manner over the last couple of years when we talk about that in our industry. But I mean, that's what the reality of this is going to be. And uh, Michael J uh, has alluded to that as well. It's like, you know, how can people move around and what's the real, what's the realistic aspect of people you know, going outside of outside of their neighborhood, frankly. So, by the very nature of how mm -hmm. we come out of post COVID, is is going to be uh, is going to be a staycation. Wineries are unique in the sense that uh, first and foremost, and this kind of uh, alludes to what Ingrid was talking about too, and Michael J to some degree as well. You got to realize that the industry, uh, tourism industry, is really about small, family owned local um you know you go to a tasting room for a winery and you see all the you know the infrastructure and and all the the great branding work done around that but you just have to look behind that building to see the vineyards and it's a farm uh, and whatever happens in the farm happens in the winery and so we're just trying to figure out you know what is that what does a visit to a winery look like when when the uh, covid uh, protocols first came into place it shut everything it, 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 everything was shut down and uh, we were pretty adamant in letting government know is that you can't shut a farm down and a winery is very much a farm. Like those grapes are gonna be continue to grow. Uh, and so you need to be able to, 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 keep, to keep access open to that. So uh, we were quick to uh, have us uh, recognized in, as a, an essential service. And some would argue is wine an essential service. I would say as a farm, it certainly is. And as a consumer product, even more so. But it's true. We need to be able to sell. We need to be able to move products. So anything we can do to, to, to do that. It, it, one of the things we're looking at is this whole tasting room protocols. And you go to a winery, you step up to a, 
a tasting bar in the busy summer season. It is anything but uh, social isolation or social distancing. Right. So we need to re-look re re at all of this. But the number one thing is these are small family-owned businesses, farmers, whose best margin comes from a sale at the winery. Um, yeah, there are, other, uh, there are other channels that you can sell through, including government liquor stores and private liquor stores. But another prime one is, is uh, restaurants, and that's been eliminated. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's serious, and, and Ingrid's alluded to it as well. Is like We're not sure what's going to come out of this. Some will survive. Some will do well. But many others are looking at what they've got in the warehouse from vintage from uh, the previous year. They're looking at the tanks from last year, and they're looking at the uh, vineyard for this coming uh, crop coming in. So uh, there's not going to be a lack of supply, but there's going to be some serious uh, issues about distribution. And there, has there been, I, I, I was reading some on, on your site as a little bit on um, the tasting room idea and, and having more like tastings by reservations or um, outdoor tasting areas. That's one thing that I kind of got, we, we'll talk about sort of the announcement made yesterday, but you know, get outdoors is a lot of stuff that people are saying. So our outdoor tasting rooms and, uh, you know, where our wine is able to maybe, uh, you know, meet health regulations by doing something like that as well. Well, absolutely. You're right here. But here's here's the issue with among all of all of industries, but the wine industry certainly is it's government regulated. It's alcohol. So the, the reason that people are all tasting in this tasting rooms is because that's the only place you can taste. So if we talk about social distancing, one of the things we need to do is have the relaxation of 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 those licensing issues that you can have the ability to taste in other parts of the winery only makes right. sense i mean winery's got a lot of space yeah. so we, but that's that that requires a you know a government uh, a government change in in the regulation but you know i think on the there is a positive to, to, to be seen out of this and and i think it's really about trying to change this whole hospitality aspect for going into a winery and going you know elbow to elbow and three deep and trying to get your glass filled uh, just it was never really you know, a good way to do it. It was the way it was done and people just kind of followed that way. Uh, but reservations make sense to us. There's other wine regions around the world that, uh, you know, you come in, you sit down, you make an appointment, you come in, you sit down and you experience the wine in a, in a thoughtful curated way. The sales is, uh, aspect of it is, is, is as important as I said earlier, because that's where the most margin of winery makes. But yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a change. Having said that, you know, tour groups, uh, you know, is critically important in this industry. Uh, a lot of uh, small independent businesses uh, make a living uh, touring people around. So what does that look like? And then buses. Uh, buses are have always been key uh, for uh, tourism uh, in BC and uh, the Okanagan specifically. And so how do you accommodate that? So lots to think about. Uh, but I think it's fair to say it's never going to be the same as what it was uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, for sure. Um, lots of discussion right now, Michael, maybe we'll start with you on this, is that lots of discussion around employment. So employees, so as you open up, obviously, you know, you, Big White relies on uh, foreign workers, you know, and, and, and how, how are you going to fill that? Do you, do you feel like there's going to be a, a, a lack of access to employees or, or because there's so many people there is? I mean, I think I've seen stats say seven and a half million people, um, you know, unemployed. Or, or is there going to be access to actually get more local employees uh, to fill the void? Well, in, in an era where temporary foreign workers and a in our industry, it's always normally been an Australian, but in, in the last couple of years, we've seen more Europeans uh, come over um, on working holiday visas. 
you you start to think about who 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 currently is in the valley. Who all did everybody leave, or are the golf courses, are the wineries, or are there other people in the valley, and who's going to be available to work this winter uh, up in up in the resorts? Well, there's a lot of people that don't have a job right now that have been laid off, and and the the, the neat thing about a ski resort is uh, is the scalability. Um, where to, to, to Ingrid's point, you know, hotels, 80 rooms, well, we have three of those. And are we going to be allowed to fill every room every night? Are we going to have to leave spacing of 24, 48, 72 hours between a checkout and a check-in? Nobody knows what the rules are yet. And so it's very hard to configure how many do we actually have to hire. If it's exactly like it was last year, that's 1,100 employees. It's not exactly like it was last year. We all know that it's going to be a different world. So we are, we are literally looking at the phased approach and different scenarios. What is the worst case scenario? Is that that COVID-19 comes back a second time and everything is touchless? You, you arrive in the parking lot, you put your ski boots on, you put your snowboard boots on, you grab your equipment, and, and you proceed right to the lift because you have a season's pass or you've, you've purchased a ticket that is touchless, that you've gone to a touchless kiosk and, and, and got the medium that will get you through the gate. You get on the chair and you go skiing. There's, a, there's an outdoor public washroom and it's a sandwich and a, and a thermos of hot chocolate. Well, that's the minimum experience. But right. we're hearing things like we're at 30% open now. We're going to get to 60% open. And so is it 50 or is it 100 people or 200 people? Can the cafeteria open? The ski industry is one of the lucky industries because we, we close near the end of our season. And, and we get to watch best practices by the tourism industry around the world. It's just been announced today that New Zealand will have a ski season. The government is allowing them to open up their lifts. So does a quad chair only take two people? Does a double chair only take one? Does a T-bar only take one? These will be best practices that the Southern Hemisphere will point to us. To your question about employment, we believe that the employment pool for those people that want to work, there will be a job for them up in the mountains come winter. Yeah, and Miles, are you seeing the same thing? Obviously, there's a lot of wineries that rely on for temporary workers as well. Do you, do you kind of uh, echo what Michael was saying in that side? Yeah, it's it's you're it's right in the uh, in the vineyard very much so. I mean that again that farming aspect of it. There's uh, the temporary former for, foreign worker aspect is critically important to it, but in the tasting room it's a little bit different. And and what we're seeing when I describe this curated uh, reservation uh, sit down experience uh, a wine and, and the wine tasting that requires different training. That that isn't uh, summer. Uh, students and retiree staff that are manning the tasting bar and helping to, you know, walk, read the, read the tasting notes to you. If right. you're going to expect to have a reservation and, and, and pay for, you know, what would be an extended tasting experience, you're going to want to have some thoughtful, knowledgeable uh, uh, thoughts provided to you. You're going to want to be, you're going to want to be treated properly and that's going to require training. So again, we're seeing, we're going to see a shift. It's going to require that people are going to have to have a, a much deeper understanding of our industry um, and they're going to have to have a much deeper understanding of of what physically is in the glass what's happening at the winery uh, why that wine is specific to that winery as opposed to the one across the street 
But these are all messages that the BC Wine Institute has been striving to get out for years. And so we see it as a good opportunity to basically what we're seeing everywhere is just slow everything down, take your time. Maybe you're not going to get to four, five, six wineries uh, in one day and just check them all off. You're going to pick uh, two or three of those key ones that you're going to want to do. And you're going to want to spend some time in and be educated on. But the other side of that is once you've gone through all that, you're probably more inclined to buy the wine or maybe even more than just one bottle of that wine. So we see there is going to be a return on that from the winery aspect of it. But training is going to be critically important to us in making sure that people that that are providing this curated experience are really being able to do so with from a, a solid knowledge base. Yeah, I know that's fair enough for sure. That's a valid point. Um, Ingrid, um, we've been hearing stories of some uh, hotels are just, you know, being creative on how they work through this. Are, are you hearing any inspiring stories on how, you know, uh, accommodators have been able to sort of, I know the words overused a little bit, pivot now, but are, are you hearing stories on how, you know, some are being able to pivot and either help out what's going on, help out um, uh, workers and so forth on, uh, and, and how they're doing it across BC? Yeah, absolutely. We've actually been a, a, a key partner for our government during the times that uh, we have empty hotel rooms, obviously, due to COVID all over the province. So we've been kind of the central clearinghouse working with both the federal and provincial Ministry of Health and BC Housing. So um, as always in crisis, uh, and we have a long history of uh, supporting you know, whether it's fire or flood or, or people that uh, unfortunately are undergoing difficult times, hotels have often been known to stand up and, and to assist. And there's a generosity uh, in our industry that this crisis has seen, you know, it's really heartwarming. So everything from first responders, from Canadians returning home and needing to self-isolate, for quarantine purposes, for essential services. And, um, you know, the, that generosity is everything from making sure in remote areas that there are rooms available for, you know, the supply chain. And, um, you know, we've had properties open up and put posts on social media saying, you're welcome to come and have a shower here and we'll have rooms available, you know, if you're, if you're one of those transportation workers. And, you know, everything from the most vulnerable to, you know, those those people that kept their businesses open for essential services, because we were deemed an essential service, our hoteliers had the opportunity to determine whether or not they would stay open or closed. Mm -hmm. The ones that have stayed open have really stepped up for accommodation purposes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we also have hotels that all of a sudden in one day, they had to make a determination to close. And so everything from their stores and their kitchens and their inventory, they were donating that to food banks and to their staff that they were laying off. There was an incredible concern around the employee health and wellness. Mm -hmm. In response to that, we've developed out a whole uh, education program session that um, many of them are actually free and institutions and, and um, you know, Okanagan College is an example, Royal Roads, and we have training, uh, different training companies that we work with that are really making sure that our, the employees are able to completely stay engaged with their employer and committed in their professional development during the time when they would be home. 
Uh, we launched that on Monday and we already have an, an, quite a number of people that have registered, which is really uh, nice to see. But in addition to that, we've developed um, partnerships with the um, whole ecosystem uh, with Destination BC, the RDMO, so Thompson Okanagan Tourism here in this region, and also educations like Smith Travel Research, where we can start really looking at history of recovery from around the world and what different strategies assisted our industry in recovering, you know, sort of shortening that length because we could actually see that we won't get back to 2019 numbers for five years or more. Our goal is that we really make sure that we do it as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. And that, you know, to Miles and Michael's point, everything is going to be different when we open up because what we've just gone through, you know, you don't easily forget the impact of something like this. And I think that there will be some opportunities to be very innovative and make sure that when we're analyzing our business, we just don't go back and do everything the way we did it before. Right. And it's time that we've been able to sit back and find some partners to do some of that is really important time. You know, sustainability, each of the line items that are in the middle of the statement that restrict your profitability, you know, it behooves us to look at that and say, hmm, could we do something a little bit differently? And there are some really innovative technology opportunities. There's also opportunities for us to take our business back from different uh, vehicles that maybe have been mandating our business. Um, and uh, we certainly have a couple of working groups that we're looking at that kind of thing, uh, that those kind of things. And, you know, the best practices that we uh, announce in partnership with BCCDC and, and the government, um, those two are going to make a difference to Miles's point, you know, how, how do you have a lobby? How do, how do we have meetings and events return uh, eventually, which is a really important mm -hmm. part of the whole tourism economy, not just for big hotels, but, you know, you think about the infrastructure that's been invested in. You can't just say, okay, you know, your occupancy for your meeting room is now cut in half because then you know, it doesn't really make sense. Right. Well, there are, there are great best practices from around the world that we're garnering and putting together to make sure that when we launch out those protocols and best practices, they make, you know, the employee is safe and well looked after, the employer is as well, our guests are, and that we actually have a business that's sustainable in the long run. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Thank you for that, for sure. There's, um, uh, we just want to let everybody know we're about halfway through already. I knew we'd go fast. So again, if you if you have any questions you want to ask, please do do uh, put, put them into the Q and A or the chat, and I'll make sure I get to them. Um, you mentioned Ingrid, and maybe Michael, you can tackle this. But everyone in this panel has lots of experience working with uh, TOTA, Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, Destination BC, and, 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 and many other associations as well, sitting on the boards and very actively involved. So how are groups like Tourism Kelowna and TOTA and Destination BC helping tourism right now? What are they doing? Is there programs in place that help some of the small operators? Uh, Ingrid mentioned education sessions. So Michael, what do you know of, and I'd like to hear from Miles and Ingrid on this as well, but maybe Michael could start. What are those groups doing to help some of the smaller uh, um, uh, businesses. You know, the, 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 and thanks for the question. Ingrid used to be the chair of, of TOTA. Miles used to work at TOTA and I'm currently the vice chair of TOTA. Um, one of the things that we did very quickly was pivot the entire staff 
um, of the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association uh, to become supportive to the industry. If if you're a small operator out there and you're trying to navigate what what does the credit system look like? What does the refund system look like? What what does the the uh, help with mortgage look like? How do I get the how do I qualify for the seventy five percent subsidy for for to keep a staff on without laying them off? Um, you literally took the the team members at TOTA, led by Glenn and and uh, and Alan Walker Matthews, um, who are are on calls every day, trying to find negotiated paths to get the operators of the tourism industry the information that they require to keep their business alive. And there is a tremendous amount of resources on the Thompson Okanagan website. I think it's slash resign, uh, resilience.ca. They have webinars every week with the destination marketing organizations in their region. Um, the, the collectors of the MRDT tax, you know, they're trying to find support for them. But it's the grassroots mom and pop operations, the small operations that are our biggest concern. And, and the programs are really been designed to help them negotiate the application to get funding or to get answers that, you know, you don't have to sit on the phone for three, four hours a day trying to get the answer. So it, it's really become a resource center. And, and, you know, the other tourism organizations within the Thompson Okanagan are, are just find, trying to find ways to continue to communicate the message that they're, they're, we, we are, we are going to come out of this and we are going to become a place that people want to visit. And here's the help to keep your doors open or to reopen your doors when the timing's right. That's great. Miles, what have you seen sort of from those groups supporting sort of the wine industry and, and the operators there? Yeah, well, again, we're the we're the BC Wine right, Institute, yeah. so we've uh, we've got coverage all across uh, the province. By far, the majority of wineries are here in the Okanagan Valley, but uh, and Thompson, by the way, some great wineries up out of Kamloops. But we've got wineries uh, all across the the province, literally, and so uh, we actually work very closely with Destination BC, and in fact. We are actually the uh, sector group uh, that's responsible for uh, culinary and uh, wine tourism. So we've been doing that for a number of years and developed uh, some programs and have those in place. We work more closely with the uh, regional uh, associ winery associations uh, throughout the, the province. So the Naramata Bench, uh, the Golden Mile Bench, uh, here in Kelowna, there's the, the West Side Group, uh, the Lake Shore Group, and up in up in Lake Country, there's a, the group there as well. So, but again, it's it's just as Michael J said, it's making sure we can get the information to them. Like, and I think Destination BC has done a really good job of describing what this whole press process is all about. And number one is uh, reaction. It's uh, it's trying as I the analogy I try to use is we're just trying to contain the fire. We're just trying to make sure the fire's not spreading uh, too far too fast. And then we'll worry about trying to put out the fire and that's the recovery phase that we're just starting to move into now. Yeah. And then the resilience phase is like, what do we do to build out of this thing? So uh, these, despite the fact that we've all been at home for the last six, seven weeks, these are early days. And I think uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry said it well as we're, we're just at the end of the beginning of this. So uh, uh, all we can do is really make sure that people have got the, the tools, the ability to, to react and just try to manage the situation. But now also is the time for some thoughtful planning. And uh, again, we're working with uh, Destination BC on, on that and on the leadership role that we have for uh, for wine and food tourism throughout the province. 
and the feds. Uh, Destination Canada is quite active uh, in trying to uh, tr tr determine what this all looks like. So uh, the, the good thing is that there's a lot of, of, of skilled, a, a lot of keen and a lot of uh, understanding and people with uh, uh, who know what they're doing and that are there to help. So uh, the number is reach out wherever and however you can. And if someone doesn't have the answer, they'll sh be sure to point you in the right direction. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think that's one thing we say, like, there's lots of questions coming in, so I'm going to circle to them right now and get as many answers. But if anyone has any questions that we don't get to today, please do reach out and we will put you in touch with Miles or Ingrid or Michael and try to get those answers for you. So, and we don't have all the answers today, but we'll we'll try to do our best to do that. So, uh, Ingrid, one of the questions that come in is, do we have an update on the MRDT and whether or not hotels will continue to collect it? Okay, currently the MRDT has been put on hold by the provincial government until late September. Uh, there is no indication that the MRDT won't exist or that it won't continue. I think the relief measure was if uh, they weren't paying it, that this is a way that the government could support the industry. The impact of that is significant. The entire DMO ecosystem is currently in crisis, uh, as are you know, other sectors and businesses. Uh, I am actively involved with TIA BC and, and uh, the BC DMOA looking and speaking with government around a potential solution. So yes, it will continue as far as I know. Okay. Um, Michael, um, there were some stats again today that, you know, air passengers have gone, you know, flight 5,000 passengers a day into Kelowna down to less than 100. Have you been in any discussion with Air Canada, WestJet? What's it look like? What, where's their thoughts? I know there was some talk earlier, like there's, it sounds like there's no movement going on. So I know there's lots of amb ambiguity right now, but have you had discussions with the airlines and, and what's that's going to look like for them in the next uh, upcoming months? Yeah, we, um, we, we keep in constant contact with, with Sam and Chad, um, who, are, who are literally talking to the airlines every day. What we understand um, how when, when non-essential travel is lifted. So when, when you're free to travel, whether it's just provincially throughout Canada, cross border, um, they're going to obviously open up the routes that make the most amount of sense to them from a, from a profit per seat mile flown. Right. The one good thing about Kelowna is it's a very lucrative market for Air Canada and WestJet. The, the, you know, Kelowna, Edmonton, Kelowna, Vancouver, Kelowna, Toronto, in all their systems are in the top five, if not the top 10 most profitable seat miles uh, per seat mile flown in their entire system. So it, it, it's, it bodes very well for us. And, and you know, in Ingrid and I have, have been working on the, the airport file for, for our entire career because we know that for, in order for the, the area to expand uh, above staycation is you're going to have to have great air connectivity. And you know, positive things that I'm hearing. They're get yeah, they're getting rid of their old aircraft. So, you know, Canada is not going to look the same from all, all you know the air service routes. It's it's going to open up probably into a a, a hub and uh, spoken hub sort of sort of system. And and we will be flying for a while through Calgary and 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 through Vancouver. Hopefully, the Seattle uh, flight comes back on. But you know, this this is it's the tenth most popular airport, uh, busiest airport in Canada. Um, and once we start to travel again, people are going to want to come here. Look outside your window right now. That's what people are searching for, you know, and, and no disrespect to any other part of the country, but we're not Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, Brandon, 
Calgary, Edmonton. We're, we're supernatural British Columbia, and we're in the heart of wine, golf, bike, ski country. People want to come here. And uh, it's just, you know, the, the airlines, like everybody else, they're going to have to change their model. I'm not getting on a fully loaded 737 anymore. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I wasn't comfortable to begin with doing that. So it might become a little bit more expensive, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to find that the air industry is, uh, will continue. And those that innovate will be the ones that people will purchase the tickets from. No, it's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Like everyone wants to, I look out the window and go, why wouldn't you want to come here when you can? So I definitely get that. Uh, Miles, question for you. Uh, with the announcement yesterday, I know there's there's a lot of, there wasn't, uh, so people are starting to sort through what that announcement was, but it wasn't clear if a winery tasting room can open up with social distancing. Is, can they or can they not? So that's what the question that came in. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good question. And there certainly is ambiguity. The way uh, that we read it, and we've been working closely with uh, the Restaurant Association to the DCRFA in development of some recommended protocols that talk about the opening of patios and the opening of uh, lounges and, and those sort of things that a lot of, that a lot of wineries do have. Uh, we see that uh, like a pub, for instance, that now is able to open uh, in, a, in a week or so, mid-May, mid, yeah. mid uh, that a winery will be able to do that. Uh, okay. When it comes to the tasting room, that's yet to be determined. We see that coming in as phase three uh, in June, and we are currently uh, right in the midst of developing protocol recommendations specific to the wine industry that talk about tasting rooms. And as I talked, I mentioned earlier, some of the recommendations that we are making uh, are going to require changes to uh, the regulation. So uh, the ability to have a tasting throughout the winery, not just in the designated tasting room area again, that's going to require a change to the license. Um, so there are some things that need to have happen before that's going to be in place. But I think the takeaway that I've got, while, while there is criticism about lack of certainty from the Premier's announcement yesterday, I think that the, the watchword is caution uh, and, uh, and, 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 uh, checking with industry. They're looking for industry to come up with those protocols. So for yeah. us in the wine institute, we need to make sure that we're listening to uh, the wineries. Not all wineries are the same. As I said earlier, maybe this uh, registration or the uh, uh, reservation system makes sense for a lot of wineries, but it's not going to make sense for everybody. So we've got to be flexible because businesses are flexible, but we've got to be true to, to the dear cost that we've all paid to get to where we at and the success we've had in avoiding, you know, a lot of the, the potential downside for COVID. We don't want to lose all that. So we want to be respectful of everyone's efforts in getting us here. So, so it's, it's, we're going to figure it out. And uh, we work closely with the restaurant people uh, when it comes to that, as I said, because they're in the somewhat in the same boat as well, but we've got these other attributes and, and offerings like tastings that we need to sort of figure our way, our way through on that. Excellent. Um, Interesting question that came in. I'm not sure who can tackle this. So what do you think the role of visitor centers will look like? And do you think Destination BC will set guidelines for visitor centers in their operations? Who can, who can speak on that, Michael? I saw, I saw Ingrid about to jump in. Ingrid, okay. you want to have the first go? Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to say that the uh, social distancing and the core protocols that will you know, sort of be the guidelines for all of our businesses, you know, whether it's ski or, or wine or hotels or lodges or, you know, 
transportation, whatever it is. I think anywhere that is a public area, there will be best practices and there will be protocols. And I think visitor centers will be the same. I think, uh, again, there is uh, innovation, technology, there's different ways of, of uh, providing the information that a visitor economy is looking for. And I, I, and I think all of those will currently be in development. You know, when, when we talked about building the tourism center downtown in, in Kelowna, I remember some time ago, um, you know, Roger Selleck was, I think, the chair of tourism Kelowna then from the airport. And yeah. I was on the board then. And, uh, I think and, and I lots of too. us sat in a lot of conferences and, and talked about, you know, why did you want to put it right down in the middle of downtown? And, and the key element of that was the human perspective, the human social DNA wanted to interact with another human. Yes, the iPhone yeah. and, 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 and the, the instrument in your hand could get you from A to B, but at the end of the day, I can go on TripAdvisor and I can read what someone says, but the person standing next to me or beside me giving me their interpretation of what a good day in the Okanagan Valley to this day resonates more than anything. I, and, I, and, and I can prove that up, uh, up in the ski, the ski resort all the time. What's your favorite run today? They, they, they can't get that online. They, they want to know yeah. what the human element is. And as I was saying to, to our group um, in, in the last 24 hours, it might be like when you see the movies and the guy in jail and you as a visitor come and you pick up the phone and on the other side of the plexiglass is the person on the other phone. It might be <laughs> like that for a while. There might be the old phone banks, the house phone in a hotel. When you picked it up, somebody answered it and, and you talked to another human. So we will figure this out. And this is what I am so encouraged by the tourism industry is tourism is all about interaction with other humans. And, and that is what we're all craving right now. And, and so I, I really think that, you know, they will figure it out. You know, you, you're coming off the highway and the first thing you want to know is what am I going to do? Where am I going to stay? Where am I going to go to eat? Lots of people are very comfortable finding that on their phone. Other people want to talk to a human and I think they'll find a way to open them up. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, Miles, I know you're a big proponent of technology, worked with you in the past about, you know, and, and that's, you know, to the point that Michael and Ingrid said, like, you know, industries like ourselves, we can adapt to doing Zoom calls for meetings, you know, where, where some events you can't do it and skiing, you know, we're going to virtually ski. So there's tourism is a, a people, a, a, you know, a, you want to interact with people. But the question I had is around the wineries, where a lot of the wineries prepared to move into e-commerce quickly, a lot of them already had e-commerce stores. Like, where, does BC Wines to help some of your members get there? Because I know obviously that's that's a big push now to get people onto the e-commerce solutions. But did you find a lot of the members were prepared for that? Yeah, uh, no, not everybody was. Yeah. I mean, most most of the smaller people really relied on the and, are, and to this day are going to rely on the tourists coming to the winery to taste and buy wine. So that's a concern. If they're not out and getting out and have the ability to get out, that's going to be a problem. We just uh, did a survey uh, the end of April, and uh, we found that uh, 80% of responding wineries have seen growth in their online sales. So uh, that is good news. But not everybody was built to have that. And so not everybody was uh, ready mm -hmm. to take advantage of that. Right. So uh, that's that's problematic. Um, I think it's really uh, shown that you know building that one-on-one -on -one relationship with a customer that technology allows you to have is, is critically important. But I mean, I would echo the 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 uh, same sentiments of 
the other esteemed panelists, and it's nothing like that personal touch. And that's why, that's why tourism is so critically important from the experience that you have, whether it's, you know, someone who's uh, a concierge at the hotel or someone who's the lifty at the resort or someone yeah. who's at the tasting bar. It's all that interaction face to face. And it's Im critically important when you're at a winery because nothing helps to establish that relationship when you can say to somebody, here's a bottle of wine that I bought while I was in uh, the Okanagan. I had a chance to meet the, uh, the vineyard manager. I had a chance to meet the winemaker and the tasting room manager only because it was the same guy because it's the, was the owner. So uh, really being able to draw that all together. And again, to, to just get back to the question about uh, visitor centers and Michael J is absolutely right. That that's nothing can, nothing can help but build that sort of relationship more strongly than that one-on-one -on -one yeah. interaction. And that's all about education. And that's all about, again, it maybe in my mind stays back to the, the staycation. If we're going to be not relying on the inbound air traffic uh, immediately, it's going to be, Really, for us, it's going to be people from Galona going down to taste wines in Penticton or vice versa, or maybe over to the island or maybe over to, uh, to uh, Lillooet or wherever your, your ability is to move around. That's what I think we need to focus on in the short term as much as we can. Yeah. Um, there's about 10 minutes left, so we'll try to get a couple more questions in. So we, we've talked about the announcement, the restart plan a few times and in, in, in not knowing um, all the answers, and I'm not sure if anyone can answer this, but one of the questions is when we get to uh, BC's phase three, will there be restrictions on travelers from Alberta and other provinces? And then the second part of that question is, do you know how the restrictions of 50 people will apply to spaces? 50 people at a pub or concert looks much different than you know 50 people at Big White. So who, who can tackle that question first? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start because it is interpretation. Like yesterday, you know, 50 people, but that doesn't mean malls. Okay, well, every one of my cafeteria is now a mall. You know, I mean, it, 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 what, what does that mean? Um, I think it, what, what we're trying to avoid is the, the, the lack of responsibility about physical distancing. Now, as an operator of a tourism resort, I need to put best practices in act so my team members at first are safe and the general public is safe and they understand and the rules are easily communicated to them because they want to live by it. They, you know, when, when you've got 2,700 acres to go and, and ski and snowboard in, I can guarantee you that if, if, if I can get people out and about. But what does the lift line look like on a good you know, day? What does the beach look like on a good day? You know, it resonates to me. It's better outside than inside. Yet, in, in the grand scheme of things, Orchard Park Mall at any one time will have way more than 50 people in it. Mm -hmm. It's just you're going to have to look at the, the food court and make sure that that's spaced out properly. So I, I think what, what, what the province is trying to do is give the industry enough guidelines so they can self-govern and come back to them with, these are the best practices that are working for us from WorkSafe BC's point of view. And these yeah. are the best practices that are working for the consumer. At the end of the day, if we're going to start this economy, I need someone to come and buy something from you. And so if they're not confident in doing that, you're going to have to change the way you do business in order to give the public confidence or they're going to stay inside, order it online and pick it up at their front door. 
Yeah, if I could, uh, if I could add in. So, you know, I had a comment from somebody that I'm working with in Vancouver yesterday, and they were down at Kitts Beach. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. There's hundreds of people at Kitts Beach. Now, when I say that, people go, oh, there's not supposed to be hundreds of people. We're not supposed to be. But in actual fact, they're in a very large outdoor space. People are in their pods. They're having a picnic and they are safely distanced from the other people that are there. So hundreds of people in an area like Michael just determined, uh, it actually, it is workable. It doesn't, I think we have to be careful of what does 50 people mean? And it, and it means what does the space look like and how does the social distancing work? I also just want to add that I'm incredibly encouraged with the Air Canada announcement uh, suggesting that they are uh, reintroducing international flights uh, at the beginning of December. And I give that because we all need hope that over the next few months, we are gonna be working diligently under health and safety protocols in partnership with our industry and government to get to a place where I can once again go to my safe haven at Big White Ski Resort and have an amazing winter of skiing and being as social as it makes sense. And so by that kind of an announcement, it means the airlines are doing the work they need to do to keep us safe and to regenerate the economy that between now and then, our hotel industry, the ski industry, the wine industry, all of the retail industries, we're all gonna have a different way of operating. And if we do it right the first time, which is right now at our doorstep, uh, by the time we're opening in June and we're slowly regenerating this economy that we all are such an intimate part of, then we're, we're gonna be okay. If we don't do it right now, then we won't be okay. And that's not what any of us want. So um, I, I just suggest that we need to save our summer for all of our industries, and then we're going to be ready to go for the winter. Uh, did you just announce something, Ingrid? Did you just break some news there about Air Canada? Because I haven't no, heard it was it was earlier in the week, Michael. I think it was okay. morning, either Monday or Tuesday. Um, we, we literally have... Four minutes left, so last question, and I, and I do want everyone a minute each. Um, one thing I, when we, we've been doing these sessions, the power of our you know business community to get together and work together, the community where and we're so lucky. We're living in an area where people kind of work together and make sure we can get through. You know, we've been through downturns before, maybe not to this level for sure. But what are what are one thing? What can the local market do? What can vendors, suppliers? What can we do to help the tourism business right now? What can, what, can, what can the public that's listening to this webinar, what can we do to help uh, the, the, the tourism industry in our, in our markets right now? Well, if you're only going to give me one minute, here's the answer. <laughs> Take a picture and share it. You know, the, the power of social media, where you are right now, the picture that you take outside your window on your bike ride today, on your walk today, on the bottle of wine that you're enjoying uh, on your driveway with your neighbor, social physically uh, separating that will resonate amongst your audience and the more of us that do it it's the same theory that we had coming out of the forest fires take a picture of the non-smoky valley and share that with your group and all i can encourage the audience today is encourage your friend you know take out wednesday in the central okanagan is incredibly successful okay well how, how do we expand that just go out and participate in the economy as much as you can. 
And if that is buying gas or buying a bottle of wine or getting an inner tube for your bike and going for a bike ride and, and, and just sharing it with your friends, because we, we've got to let people know that it's, it's easier than they think it is. And we responsibly, physically separate from each other. We can still have a great time. Excellent. Miles? Buy BC. Buy BC. I mean, whether it's food, wine, um, Michael J said it, support local. And we're fortunate in the wine industry because we have a lot of people that, that do that. But uh, you need to do that uh, wherever you are, however you do it. And it yeah. takes thought. And uh, it's not easy necessarily to, to see that it is. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't promote BC VQA as your assurance that it's 100% BC. So in the wine industry, you can do that. But take the time to look and take the time to ask and buy BC. Ingrid, last word on that. What can we do to support the local tourism industry right now? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things is understand the work that's going uh, in currently to making sure that there is safety in travel and that you can be assured that, um, you know, the hotel industry and the tourism industry, uh, when they're open, they need your support. So if you were going fishing or hiking or, you know, you're going to do that canoe trip or whatever that you're doing, uh, make sure that you continue to do that in British Columbia the first wave of recovery will be British Columbians traveling in British Columbia. And this is the upcoming summer. It will be a summer like none other. So there will be few places that are going to be sold out and there will be lots of availability. So please support your BC economy. And that's a great way to end. You see, I've seen lots of notes on the chat and questions saying we need to support BC and support local. So everyone yeah. uh, resonates with that for sure. So. I, there was a page of questions I didn't even get to. So we're going to have to do this again. And I apologize. There's some questions that we didn't get to answer. We'll try to do our best to circle back. And if we can't get the answer, we'll, you know, we can send them off to Michael or Ingrid or Miles to get answers for you. Yep. So we'll yeah. do our best on that. So um, you guys, thank you, Miles, Michael, and Ingrid. Thank you so much. I know you guys are busy. Thank you for taking the hour with us for sure. I think this is, we know how important tourism is to our, uh, you know, the areas that we do business in right through the Thompson Okanagan and obviously all of BC. So thank you so much for sharing some insight today for sure and uh, we really appreciate it thank um, you for the opportunity no problem we have uh, another session tomorrow at 10 a.m with a local business panel so tune in and again thank you for spending the hour with us um, have a great rest of your day and hopefully we're out staying in hotels drinking wine and skiing shortly so really appreciate everyone uh, for taking the time today thanks thanks to you rob and uh, now media for your support great work in bringing uh, bringing uh, us all together so thank you very much awesome thank you okay. everyone thank have a great you. day thanks everyone take care Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Matters with host Rob Capello. If you're interested in being on the show, reach out to us and join the conversation. 